This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Emily Esterson from Coverside Magazine, the magazine of mounted fox hunting. And I'm Tara Tibbetts from Fort Worth, Texas. And you're listening to the monthly fox hunting episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for a very special day, March 19th, 2020. Today is my 40th birthday, episode 2395. This episode is brought to you by Coverside Magazine. Good morning, horse world. This is our special episode about fox hunting. We come to you the third Thursday of every month. So if you're a fox hunting fan and you get behind on your episodes, just be sure to put the third Thursday on your calendar so you can get catch the latest. And it's an extra special third Thursday because it's Tara's 40th birthday. Jilly. Yes. So what are you, what are your big adventures, Tara, for your birthday? Well, they're kind of all on the kibosh right now. (laughs) Who are we kidding? Um, I, Kevin and I were planning to go out for dinner. Kevin's my husband on, um, tonight would be, but I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. So, Really kind of my big to-do this year is uh, the trip to Montana. I'm going to do that again. I'm going to probably go a few days longer this year. So I'm excited for that. It's always um, our guest today is Angela Marie, and she's kind of one of the leaders of that whole, ex- I don't know what you call it, ex- it rendezvous ex- to Mile City. Expedition. Um, Expedition, yes. And I know that y'all, I haven't listened to the whole episode yet, but I know Renee Daniels was on an episode earlier this week and she was on our fox hunting episode, I think June of last year. And she's kind of, she's the huntsman at Big Sky Hounds and they, they both play an integral part in that, um, event in Mile City. And it's, I can't wait to go, um, the, after this year, they're going to start alternating. So next year they'll go to hunt in, Renee's, uh, her property, which is around Bozeman. And then they'll go back to mile city in two years. So, um, I'm excited for the trip to mile city. And then after all the, I call it Corona apocalypse all after all the Corona apocalypse stuff, hopefully subsides fairly quickly. Then, um, maybe we'll, we'll re revisit the, the birthday fun. But for right now it's, living on a few acres and having a bunch of uh, dogs and hounds and horses, I, I can't imagine a better situation to be social distancing. I what know, about right? you, Emily? Well, you know, we are, we're riding and taking care of the horses and, um, you know, the hunt has been quiet. Um, not a lot of activity there. And, I think a lot of hunts are are canceling their closing parties. Uh, March is closing hunts, and um, and so you know they're still hunting. They're just telling people to stay 
um, to stay away from each other. And uh, I actually saw this kind of hilarious picture on Facebook of uh, the Casala. I wasn't there last weekend and the Casala drone gang, and they were all sitting like 10 feet. They were sitting outside and folding chairs after the hunt. And they were all sitting like 10 feet away from each other. And it was just so odd to see that, you know, they, yeah. they were trying hard to be socially distant and, and still enjoy the tradition of, of hunt breakfast and fellowship and, you know, and the, I think that closing meets are all being, um, the closing celebrations are all being pushed back or canceled. And, you know, we've covered this before on the show, but closing meets are all about giving out colors and celebrating volunteers and, you know, honoring people who've fallen off and, you know, all kinds of different rituals, um, it, with closing meets and those kind of sad that those are being postponed but hopefully next year they'll be back with a big bang and not the kind that blows up like a bomb (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely we've actually we've had we've had a lot of rain i think at my house we've had about four inches of rain in the last week so our last hunt got canceled because of wet footing and it looks like there's another inch and a half or two inches in the forecast this week so um i guess it kind of works out with with the you know the situation that's going on, but um, definitely is affecting what's happening in the in the fox hunting world. And we maybe will talk about this later, but I know some of the hound shows have been canceled. Yeah, uh, that have that have re- just been announced um, on Facebook. So because often we like to talk about upcoming events that are happening in the hunting world, but now it's kind of a cancellations situation. Yeah, Southern Hound Show, which is in Live Oak and hosted by Marty and Daphne Wood and is always a big event. Um, that one is canceled. And then Central States Hound Show, which is the Midwest area, um, they canceled that one. Those are the the earliest ones on the calendar. And then um, in the you know later part of spring, um, starting May, the really big ones start happening. Those are... Um, you know, I think the three biggest ones are Southern, Bryn Mawr, and uh, Virginia, of course. And right. um, and so, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see, I guess, what happens with those um, those hound shows. Again, it's, you know, social distancing. And, you know, I think there's something like 700 hounds at the Virginia Hound Show. I'm not yeah. sure that number is totally accurate, but there are a lot of hounds there and a lot of people. So... Um, if this thing hasn't sort of gone away by then, I'm sure they'll have to cancel that as well. Which, so, in the grand scheme of things, of course, it's it's worth it. So, right. better to be safe, safe than sorry, and you know, as they say, flatten the curve. Yep. So, um, should we move on to the term of the month? And I thought this was kind of sort of relevant to the current world situation, which the term is biddable a hound that honors the commands of the huntsman and staff. And Emily, you use, you've used that a few times, you know, talking about other, the other terms that we've discussed, but I think that, you know, we, we as people and citizens in our society should be biddable right now and listen to the commands of our leaders. Uh, I agree. You know, we need to be a little biddable. (laughs) So, you know, with hounds, it's, it's a funny thing. I mean, you want them to have game. You want them to have like, you want them to be excited and, and interested in their job and, you know, and somewhat independent in the pack environment, but you also want them to, you know, to come back to you when you call them and to, 
you know, to be able to cast them into a certain area. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, you know, talk in the hunt world about the biddability of hounds and, you know, to compare it to horses, I would say it's a little bit like trainable, you know, like a horse is really trainable. Like my Lucy, she, she is super trainable. You teach her something once and she just gets her little thought bubble out and she says, okay, yeah, I got that. You know, I figured that one out. And, you know, and when you're, it's a little bit like, it's the same kind of deal with the hounds. Like they're trainable, they're biddable. You can tell them what to do. So, and it is always really impressive when you're with a, a pack of hounds. And, and I remember the the first time I hunted in Mile City with Angela in Red Rock. I think we hunted the Red Rock hounds that day. I'm pretty certain it was that. Um, one of the big things, it was a landowner that we they'd never hunted on that that person's property before. And so she really wanted to make it very evident to the landowner just how biddable her hounds were. And it was impressive to me to see we we hacked out probably two or three miles and just the hounds stayed in a pack right behind her and her staff was around them and they didn't move a muscle to go out and hunt until she told them to. And I know it, it's very impressive to watch that. And, and I think a lot of people think of fox hunting and they think, oh, you just let a bunch of hounds out and then they run like crazy. And that's really not at all what happens. No, it's not. And, you know, when you watch a biddable pack work with a huntsman, that is a thing of beauty. I, I mean, oh, it, it yes. really is a thing of beauty. It's like your hair stands up because, you know, you can see them totally connecting with the huntsman and the huntsman, you know, cast them and they go out and they hunt and the huntsman calls them back and they all turn around and come in if necessary you know, that, and it's like a wave of hounds following the, the horn and the huntsman. And and it's, it's really cool to watch in our pack, you know, huntsmen use different commands and every huntsman is a little bit of a different style. But, um, but I remember the, when I was first starting to hunt, when I was first starting to whip in, um, the huntsman would blow his horn, like, you know, twice he'd go toot toot, and then he'd yell, hounds right. And those hounds, those, you know, 10 couple or 12 couple of hounds would all head off to the right. And I was like, oh my gosh, like who knew? You know, that was, that to me was like a huge moment of biddability. You know, that was the definition of it. Absolutely. And if anyone ever does have the opportunity to go to a hound show in Virginia or the Southern Hound Show or the ones we've talked about that are unfortunately canceled this year, a lot of them have a pack class where it's it's part of the hound show to show how biddable the hounds are on foot with the huntsman. So, yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. I actually have some video of that from the Virginia Hound Show somewhere. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Pack class. So, moving on now, what is coming up in the next cover side issue? Oh, well. I have some really great stuff coming up and I wanted to encourage our listeners um, to, since you are social distancing and, you know, working at home and maybe not working as much, I would encourage our listeners to put pen to paper and write a short story because in the next issue of Coverside, we are going to do the art issue and we're also having a fiction contest. And so- Yeah, so um, so channel your inner Rita Mae Brown 
and write a fox hunting short story, no more than 1,200 words, and email it to me or send it to me through Facebook because it's going to be really fun. We have gotten, um, in the past, we've gotten some really great submissions, and um, and so we really want listeners to to give their creative juices some uh, some energy. And so we'll have also um, a feature story about three up and coming fox hunting artists. So young people who are, who are making their name in the fox hunting art world. We are also having a great story and this will be one of our guests on the show about, uh, we are, we're calling it the huntsman's daughter and it is about the daughters of huntsman's who have gone on to become show jumpers. Um, some of them quite successful. So we've got a few of those we're profiling and, uh, we have an Ask the Huntsman with none other than Rita Mae Brown herself. And so it's going to be a great issue. Oh, that sounds so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Really fun issue. Really excited about it. So will the fiction submittals only be in the Coverside magazine or will they also be online or where, where all will those get published? Well, it will hopefully be both. Uh, if we get enough, I'm hoping that we'll run, we'll be able to run two or three of them in the magazine and then whatever else we get, we can run online. So, um, so that's our hope. We haven't gotten that many submissions yet, so I'm really encouraging people and we may be able to offer a really cool prize. I can't say what that is, but maybe next month I'll be able to tell you. It's awesome. Where can yeah. people get the Coverside magazine? Where, where, where? They can get it from MFHA.com or they can look at the digital version on ISSUU.com backslash eCoveredSide. So that's our that's where we log all of our digital magazines. So they're all there. Next up, we have with us our guest, Angela Murray, Huntsman of Red Rock Hounds. And I had the pleasure of meeting Angela during my trip to Montana last year for the fun foray that Red Rock Hounds does with Big Sky Hounds. And then also, um, Angela was the guest huntsman at the Burwell Hound Trials this past fall. So I got to spend some time with Angela then as well. And she has got a fun story for us today to tell us a little bit about the history of Red Rock Hounds and a special anniversary they have coming up. So welcome, Angela. Red Rock has an exciting milestone this year that they share their 40th anniversary with my 40th birthday. So in honor this, ep- and I don't think I told you this episode comes out on my 40th birthday. So it's kind of a theme. So let's start off with telling us about how Red Rock got started. Cause I know it's kind of an interesting story. So Lynn Lloyd started the pack of hounds in 1980. She drove across the United States moving West after a uh, failed business in uh, Pennsylvania ran out of gas in Reno and found the valley in which we're in now, started the pack of hounds shortly after she got here with 12 hounds drafted from Los Altos house. So did she know anyone in Reno or like, how how did that even, Oh my gosh. Not a soul. Didn't know anybody had two horses and a dog worked her way around. And then when she would get a little bit more money, she would drive out to the outskirts of, Reno at the time, which was fairly small, and see where she could buy a place when she had the money. She would do training at people's farms, work for a couple of the big trainers here. And when eventually, about six months into her time here, I believe, she found the valley, which is called Red Rock, um, in Rancho Haven, and 
And not too long after that, bought her first 10-acre parcel and with her own hammer and nails and those are a few of her clients' help was able to build the first kennel and the first barn and has now since we have, we've been in three facilities within the same Valley. Um, and then we, uh, so we moved to the most recent one in 2004. Okay. So is it a similar size, like a 10 acre place? And I know that there's, that y'all have a, a horse business that goes out of it too, correct? Like a horse sales we business? We do. We do. So she has always run a horse business that supported the hounds and that provided livery for the hunt. In the first place, she had, uh, I think she had 10 stalls and kind of a goat pen type kennel set up. And then in the second place, which was across the road, those were both each 10-acre ranches. And then in 1997, she and her joint master at the time were able to uh, purchase the 650-acre Ross Creek Ranch, was, which was one of the original ranches in the valley. Oh, that. That's awesome. Emily, do you have a question? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to jump in. And um, and so how did how did Lynn begin recruiting members for the hunt? How did she find if she didn't know anybody? And, you know, how did that happen? That people started to join and, and get out hunting? You know, I think it was by hook or crook. She'll tell you. And actually, we're going to celebrate that at our hunt ball this year. Quite a few of her members either still are a part of the hunt as social members or a couple of them still hunt with us and they have incredible stories of they had 12 hounds and there were three of them and they would go in 12 different directions chasing the hounds because they had no idea what to do and they were making their whips out of chair legs and bailing twine and they had their hunt breakfast in this little pink trailer that she lived in i mean the stories go on and on and on so i think it was you know somebody heard about it and decided they wanted to go and or, you know, somebody moved to the area who actually had ever ridden in an English saddle. Nobody rode English 40 years ago in Reno, you know, Nevada, ever. And much less chase horses. I mean, chase towns. Like of a horse ever. And so it was all new and she had quite a learning curve there. But due to her personality and her perseverance, I think here we are now. So when did you join, Angela? I started heading here about 20, my, let's see, my daughter's 22, about 20 years ago. And then I moved here 15 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I've been a part of the hunt for 15 years full time. And then prior to that, off and on for five years. And so you had a lot of stories that I missed. Did you <laughs> hunt back east before going to Red Rock? I did. Or- I grew up hunting back east at Shake Rag as a child and then hunted, got to hunt around the country. Uh, married to the military with Woodbrook and Mission Valley and Fort Leavenworth mm-hmm. and started a pack of hounds uh, in Fort Carson, Colorado in 2003. And th- that pack sustained until I moved out here full time in 2005. And then my husband at the time kept that pack going until he retired from the military and moved to his current place in Alabama. So Fort Carson, uh, that wasn't that long, or uh, that wasn't that long ago that that hunt col- uh, fl- folded, as far as I know, right? right? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. T- about five years ago. Jared retired from the military and took a job as president of a uh, all boys military school in outside of Auburn, Alabama. And so the hounds we had had let the pack kind of age out, had not bred for a while. And so we retired the foxhounds. Susan Gentry at Cloudline took some of them. Some of them, I believe, went to Mission Valley as well. And they're all thriving and doing really well. 
Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. So is it Red Rock, like how different is it hunting at Red Rock than it is at like Shaker Ag or Fort Carson or, or some of the others? Because I feel like it's it looks really different. It is really different. You guys all have to come out and go with us. It's uh, Nevada is 87% public land, BLM owned by us taxpayers all over the country. And we have over a million and a half public acres that we have access to to go hunting, which is unheard of in today's hunt country. We also travel once a month. We go to uh, Southern California, down to the Tejon Ranch. We go to Arizona. We go to Montana. We go to Burwell, Nebraska. have joint meet quite often with North Hills there. Um, are opening up some country in Wyoming and then have quite a bit of country scattered at different places in Nevada that we go to. and We'll go on a Thursday and hunt Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then come home on a Monday. Because you've told so me we, this before, but how many times do you go out in a season? 125, 130. We four days a week at home. And then we go out four or five days a week because oftentimes if we're gone hunting away with hounds, we have a kennel huntsman, one of our whipper ends, who'll stay and hunt a pack of hounds at home. So the membership's still at home so that they get a both end. If they can travel, great. If they can't, they still get good sport here in Reno. So like how many, how many people are in the field on a Saturday? Uh, at home? It would depend. Oh, I would say 15, 20, something like that. Not a huge number, but enough to warrant that we want to make sure that they get to, to enjoy the sport just like we are when we're on the road. So awesome. Yeah, so what's it's pretty exciting. So what's the, uh, so, you know, as hunts kind of age, they, you know, they mature like a fine wine, you know? So what's the, what's the, um, future looking like for Red Walk? Are you opening new country? Are you recruiting new members? What's, what's happening there? Yeah, I would, I think the future is very, very positive. We have a great young group of people, not necessarily juniors. We have a fair amount of those, but a lot of young professionals that, that kind of Nikki Wisner, I think that, that we were talking about earlier, who moved, wrote some for Coverside and moved from Arizona up here. A lot of 30 something year old professional young ladies and men who are coming in. And, and I think they're going to be the crux, the backbone of the sport. And then a lot of our juniors that go all, away to college are coming back and wanting to hunt again or finding some way to keep hunting through college because they miss it so much. So I think it's very strong. We have about a uh, 20% increase in membership this year alone, and we are continuing to open up country. Tara, thanks to her family and a huge, huge, wonderful community in Miles City, Montana. I, I can't even think. I think we have 90 sections up there that we can hunt. And every time we go, they're like, well, can't you just come hunt my ranch? Can't you just come hunt my ranch? So we are very, very blessed with more country than we could potentially get to. And we try to figure out a way to get to all of it, at least every other season. So I think the future is very, very promising for hunting out West in general, but for Red Rock as a whole. And we have a great, great, strong leadership between Lynn Lloyd, uh, our other joint master, Scott Tepper from down in LA, who is a master at West Hills for many, many years. And then myself, um, we we see nothing but good things and a positive future for this hunt. When you've really done a lot of like with your, you know, the trip to Montana and to hone, and it sounds like in Wyoming where you've really made it to, 
you know, it's not necessarily everyone in your, you know, all of your members go to all of those hunts, but you've really created some destination experiences. And I know I have a friend here from the Dallas-Fort Worth area that's gone to Tejon with you, and the pictures are breathtaking. Yeah, it's a, that's a pretty miraculous picture in itself. It's it's a, quite a, a magnificent piece of land. It's 270,000 private acres. It's the largest land holding in the western state. Publicly traded, but private. Um, Grace of God, of their board of directors. Same thing with Montana. That's all private land, privately owned, and the ranchers and the the community has been overwhelmingly wonderful. We also have that same kind of feeling in a lot of our eastern, northern Nevada towns. We go to the private ranch in right in the corner, northeast corner near between Salt Lake and Twin Falls and called Cottonwood Ranch. And it's five generations of a ranching family, 24 sections. They have a lodge for us to stay. They put up our horses and they just welcome us open arms. So it's really amazing. We're really lucky that we get to do this. I think people back east don't really understand what it's like to have so much open open land to hunt on. You know, we here in New Mexico have a similar situation. You know, we have millions of huntable BLM acres and um, and ranches and stuff that we can hunt on, and it's it's just a different experience. I think. I do too. And the other thing that we we don't have is we do have a handful. We have our local country, our local valley in which the kennels are is. Is their 10-acre ranchette-type properties, so we do have landowners there. We have a great relationship with the majority of them. You always, you know, once in a while, you get somebody who doesn't particularly care for the hunting. But overall, we have a very, very welcoming community in our home territory as well as our BLM territory. But Lynn created that vibe when she started the hunt 40 years ago. It was sort of a, we, it's, it's, there's no pretense. You can come as you are, you know, she welcomes, you know, Western riders, whatever. If you want to do the sport and you fall in love and get educated about the sport, you'll then get the costume or the right horse or whatever. But she is so welcoming and so all inclusive of anybody from any walk of life that I think it, it it's hard to, hard not to like the Red Rock Hound, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I, I mean, the first time I met y'all was in Montana and I just, I the I was only able to hunt one day when I was out there, and I want to say there was like thirty five people in the field, which I thought, and none of them were locals, which was amazing. Um, that that many people would travel for an experience like that. Um, so my my kind of a not not quite a wrap up, but just kind of a culmination question is: So, are you doing anything special to celebrate your fortieth anniversary? We are. We're going to do a ruby ball since a ruby anniversary would be the typical a wedding anniversary would be a ruby celebration or the ruby anniversary. So we're going to do a very formal, elegant ruby ball and uh, kind of toast Lynn. Maybe roast Lynn might be the better thing. <laughs> and we've got a lot of our, of our uh, older hunt members that are coming. And I mean, I think they're dragging out their old chair whip um, with, with, uh, and the, and the, you should see the costumes that they used to wear and the stories and all of the paraphernalia. And so we're hoping to have a wonderful, wonderful evening of that during cocktail hour. And then a couple of surprise guest speakers that I think she, do, she doesn't know about. So we can, we, she knows they're coming, but she doesn't know who they are. 
um, to honor her and, and the, the incredible thing that she did by moving out West and not only just starting our pack, but if you look at it, she's also responsible for starting Fort Carson hounds. She started Grand Canyon hounds. She started Tahone hounds. She started blue pine hounds, which is now folded. She started big sky hounds. So she's had her finger and her influence. She started Rita Mae's pack at Oak Ridge back in the day. Um, by just saying, you can do this, get out there and do it. Just get some dogs and get on the road and go. And so I, I think there's so many people within the industry nationwide that want to honor her. And we want to do the best job that we can to honor her here in our own hunt and celebrate four years of feeling the freedom with her. And when oh, is that? It. When is that celebration? That 17th, 18th, and 19th. You guys should all come out. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful weekend. We'll hunt for two days, and we'll hunt our pace, and then we'll have a big, beautiful, wonderful ball on that Friday night. Of April? Yes. April 17th, 18th, and 19th. Okay. And we always like to tell people how... Oh, yeah, no. I've I've got some friends from here I know who were going that are... Are you going to go? Are you going to go? So, depending on what happens with this glorious situation we're dealing with right now, um, with the the coronavirus... um, it's definitely on my list. I'm, I'm trying to make it happen. But if folks want to find out more information, what's the best place to go, Angela? The, the best place to go would be our website, and it's www.redrockhounds.com. They can have access to our, my cell number, the bar number, my email address is on there, and detailed events about the weekend itself are also on there on a link from the homepage. So we do have livery available. Uh, that's one of the things that separates us a little bit from other hunts is we have a head of experienced first, second, and third field livery that know the country, know the sage, that are acclimated to elevation, and that are, their job is to go out there and make sure you have a fun day. And I will say, and I've not been paid to say this, but I had a friend ride one of Angela's <laughs> horses at the hunt in Montana. She'd never hunted before, and her horse was absolutely perfect and I think she's going to try to come back this year. So oh, definitely. Wonderful. Yes. Yes. It behooves us. And we have a wonderful, wonderful set of livery horses and we do buy and sell a lot. So they, they are always changing, but we won't put them out there in the livery string until we are a hundred percent confident that they are going to provide you the experience that get, allows you to look up and, and, and see the hound work and enjoy the country and enjoy the territory and not feel like you're on a death ride. <laughs> absolutely so true well Angela thank you so much and we're we're excited hopefully some of us can get out there and help you celebrate your 40th but I will for sure be in Montana to celebrate with you in May well we can't wait and listen please call me if you have any other questions and thank you so much for having us we're very honored to be a part of this podcast fascinating discussion right there ladies let's take a break for a little muzak and this time we're going to have Kristen harris one of my favorite independent artists with endless sky and we'll be back with our next guest
Kristen Harris. You can get her music on her website, kristenharris.com, and her first name is spelled K-R-I-S-T-Y-N, Harris the normal way. And we'll also have a link on today's show notes page at horsesinthemorning.com. And our next guest is ready. So we're here today with Kaylin Leahy, and Kaylin is a show jumper, but she is also the daughter of Tony Leahy, who is the president of MFHA, the Masters of Foxhounds Association, and a huntsman and a master. And so, Kaylin, from what I understand, you pretty much grew up in the hunt field, didn't you? I did, yeah. I um, Fox hunting definitely was uh, first in my life and in coming into horses. And then eventually, uh, a little bit later on, I got into the show jumping side of things. But definitely, um, fox hunting kind of started me out and I mean, still remains a huge part of my life today. So, so tell us about how you got started, um, and kind of what your hunting life was like when you were a kid. And I know you're, um, you're 17 now. Uh, I just turned 18 last week. So okay, um, great. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell, and then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about your, your hunting life growing up as a kid. Yeah, for sure. So, um, pretty much growing up, um, 
you know, my mom and dad met, met, um, out fox hunting and everything, um, at, uh, Fox River Valley hounds up in Illinois, um, back when it was in Barrington. So pretty much like, I think right when I got home from the hospital, they, they like tried to throw me on a horse practically. So, um, it's always been kind of a huge part of my life. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I kind of just started out pretty like normal, like most, uh, young kids with fox hunting. I think I, you know, I went through a couple really good little ponies, um, that, you know, got me out in the second field and kicking around out there. Um, and yeah, I actually, there was kind of a little stage in my, um, I guess you could say fox hunting career where, uh, I had this one pony that, um, was a little wild sometimes. And I got a little bit afraid of going up and down the hills and stuff. So I kind of, I was a little bit tentative for a little while there. And then, um, and then I kind of just jumped straight to horses after that. And it was, you know, smooth sailing ever since. And, um, yeah, I just, you know, I was lucky enough to have a bunch of, you know, really, uh, safe, solid citizens, especially, you know, with my back, with my dad being like the huntsman and everything. Um, he definitely knew the right mounts for me and stuff. So I was able to get a lot of confidence and, um, you know, move up from second field to first field. And eventually, um, especially since, you know, when my dad's down here, uh, I'm currently in Georgia right now as, as we're uh, talking, um, cause he's down here for the winter part of the season. Um, but yeah, by the time I, uh, I got down here and everything, um, you know, I was able to, sometimes it's kind of quiet down here. So I was able to start whipping in a little bit. Um, but I definitely have a very long way to go to be a good whipper in. Um, so yeah, that's kind of been my experience with it so far. And, um, yeah, it's been great. (laughs) So, uh, when you say you're, you had some solid citizen horses, tell us about some of the, like the memorable horses you've had in your lives and, and what, you know, what kind of made them great? Yeah. Um, so for me, I think that, uh, there's kind of like three big ones, um, in Fox, you know, in my, um, experience of Fox hunting that kind of come to mind right away. So I had the best, um, little Appaloosa pony, Taffy Apple, um, who was, uh, (laughs) just such a good boy. He like, he actually, I also did him in like my first ever, um, like hunter class and stuff too. So he was in the hunt field and, uh, out, um, you know, in the hunter ring too. So he was a really, really, uh, cute little pony. He was, I gotta say, if you just looked at him, you'd be like, Oh, he's kind of an ugly little guy, but he, um, he had the biggest heart and I thought that he was, you know, the most handsome pony ever. Um, and so, yeah, he was, he was great. And, uh, you know, going, especially out on like some of my first hunt, uh, in second field with him. And I even, you know, I started to jump on him and everything too. So he was definitely kind of a milestone horse, I guess you could say. Um, and then I eventually rode when I first got onto like horses, um, I rode this old thoroughbred, um, named banker. And he was really, he was an awesome horse too. I, he was a little bit kind of set downhill. So I, um, I, I got a little bit nervous going up and down the hills on him, but he was just so well behaved that, um, you know, I kind of got over that. There's kind of like this moment in my little fox hunting career where I was kind of like worried about going up and down like really steep hills. And he was, he really got me over that. And, um, he was a really solid citizen. And then, um, 
finally there, uh, we were lucky enough, um, one of our good friends, Ann Byers, she gave us one of her old, um, uh, show hunters. And then we ended up turning him into a fox hunter. And he was like pretty much my top guy for a couple of years, um, for like three or four years after banker, uh, his name was Butterfield. He was the best. So, um, yeah, just, just a couple of years ago, we lost him, which was sad, very sad for me. Uh, but those are kind of like the three main ones that, uh, definitely kind of had the biggest effect on, uh, you know, just me gaining confidence and really learning to love and appreciate the sport. That's cool. I think, I think everybody might have a, a ugly Appaloosa in their past. (laughs) (laughs) I had one named Apple, Apple, the Appaloosa, and he was a, he was a terrible, dirty stopper. I mean, he would just run at the jump and then he'd just drop his shoulder. And I came off him like a million times. So like they're, they are just iconic. I think that every, like you said, everyone has to have one. I remember like when I was riding Kathy Apple, one of, um, one of the other members, she, um, she would always ride in second field with me and she had an old Appaloosa too. And everyone would tease that we were like a match made in heaven (laughs) out there in the back. They're so good. So, um, so let's transition and talk about your show jumping career. Cause you know, I think sometimes there's a misconception about fox hunting that, that, you know, you're a fox hunter or even in all equestrian sports that you're kind of in your, you're in your discipline and you don't really go out of your discipline. So tell us how you got started with show, um, with show jumpers and how fox hunting helped you become a better show jumper. So for me, I think that, um, I was, I was actually just talking to someone about this the other day, trying to explain it to them, but I think that, um, obviously fox hunting, I think, makes you very confident as a rider. I think you have to, you know, to be in that element, especially when, you know, you're really, you know, booking it and uh, everything's moving very quickly. I think you need to be very confident in not only your ability as a rider, but also um, in what your horses can do. Um, I think that a lot of times uh, show jumpers can get so hung up on um, wanting to, you know, manufacture their horses and want to control every single step of it. Like the entire course, they want to be in control. Like I I think of like someone having their horse really round and cantering in place and like plate, almost like putting their feet every step. And I think that there's um, a certain element of fox hunting where you kind of, at least for me, and part of the reason I got over my, you know, fear of the hills or a little bit of timidness um, was that I kind of, I finally realized that your horse is also, um, also has a brain and can think for itself. And it's really, it's a partnership. You're not just riding a machine. Um, so I think that kind of element of it really has led me to, you know, trust my horses more in the show ring or, and also just in general, be confident. Like I, you know, going into a, maybe there's a tight jump off or something and there's one kind of hairy inside turn and some people don't want to do it. I think that, in those situations, I think it's really easy to thrive because, you know, I, especially, I obviously it always depends on the horse, but, uh, you know, if I really know that I'm on my game and my horse is on my game, you just, I think you you kind of learn an element of trust out there in the hunt field, uh, that can't really be replicated. Um, so I think that that really helped in terms of like actual, like physical skill sets. Um, I think that you get a super, super solid base, um, 
from hunting, especially like if just position wise, like down through your leg and through your balance. I think that, you know, especially your horse can trip or you can land in a hole or whatever happens. And you have to be staying in that really solid neutral position to not get out of position. Um, so I think that that kind of transfers over to the, uh, to the show jumping because having that base and, you know, having my leg in the right spot and always having to be in balance, um, out in the field. I think that that's helped me in the show ring because, you know, maybe, my horse jumps very expressive over the first jump or something. Like I know I'm not going to fall out of position because I'm, you know, I'm used to having my leg down and underneath me and um, already looking to the next fence or translating that to hunting, looking, you know, through this turn or through that cover, wherever you're going. So I think it kind of, there's lots of parallels to it. uh, But physically, I think you get a really, really solid base and foundation um, from Mm -hmm. the fox hunting. So that that's really important. And then you just learn trust and kind of having faith in your horse and what you can do. Yeah. I've never, I've never hunted with, um, with your dad, but I have heard that, uh, the Illinois territory has, is fast going. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and has some, you know, I think, uh, years and years ago when I first started working on Coverside, um, my assistant editor was living in Madison and she, um, yeah. and she went, she went down and hunted, once and I think you know she hunted in second field because she hadn't really been doing much jumping and I think uh, Tony yeah. had said he had said you know if you're not like regularly jumping prelim level fences you know don't ride in first <laughs> field and I was like oh wow okay <laughs> so so you yeah, got you know you've got that of- Irish Irish huntsman at the helm there so <laughs> yeah for sure I think that a lot of people like I, I guess it's because I kind of grew up in it that like I don't necessarily always think of it as that I don't know that's kind of normal to me but I've heard a lot of people you know after a day of hunting with my dad are like oh that was really tough so yeah um, you know whether it's just like and especially like in Illinois and stuff the the country is beautiful and um I mean we, we're in such a great spot but also like like you said it is it can be tough and tricky country to maneuver sometimes. So, yeah. uh, you definitely got to be prepared. <laughs> yeah. So, so but yeah, uh, there's definitely a very big Irish attitude of like, Oh, just go on with it. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so now, you know, I know you came home from Wellington, uh, and this week. Yeah. And so, um, so what's, what's happening, um, with your show jumping right now, you've been, you were down in Wellington and if, we hadn't been in the situation we're in, you'd probably still be down there. Right. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. So you're sorry. Yeah. So you're, you're actively competing right now. Yeah. Yeah, I am. So it's, um, it's right now it's my last year as a junior in the show jumping. Um, so next year I'll age out and become an amateur. So this year I'm really just kind of, um, focusing on, going out with a bang. Um, I've done a lot of things that I, um, you know, had dreamed of doing when I first started out. Um, I, again, I had, I've been lucky enough to have some really, really, um, nice horses come into my life or things fall into place really nicely. So, um, you know, I, I remember when I first started out with Steve, like that first day jumping, like I think three, six, and it was the biggest jump of my life. And I was so excited. And, you know, from, it it was like definitely a, um, you know, it was, it was like, there was a little, like, there was definitely a big drive there. Uh, 
as soon as that happened. So, um, I mean, I was already dreaming of doing the Grand Prix and everything. And um, like I said, I've been lucky enough to have some horses to be able to bring me up to that level. Um, so now kind of my sights are on continuing at the Grand Prix level. Um, I had a horse a couple years ago that um, I did in the junior jumpers and the Grand Prix, but he was also my hunt horse. So his name was Splendor. He was amazing. Um, he was probably another one I should have mentioned. Uh, I was just kind of thinking of my early career when you asked me, uh, about horses earlier, but he would, um, I mean, we would have him out hunting for two weeks and then showing for two weeks and he would go back and forth, um, between Georgia and Florida when we were down here or, you know, between farms in Illinois. So I think that, um, you know, and he, and I was able to win a couple of Grand Prix on him. And I had another really great old horse before him that brought me up to the Grand Prix level for the first time. Um, but that was a couple years ago. Splendor actually, uh, it's really sad. He, um, he ended up colicking and we had to put him down a couple years mm-hmm. ago, pretty unexpectedly. Um, so after that, there was kind of a year off for me, um, where I wasn't, uh, well, it wasn't a year off. I was still competing at like the junior jumpers, but I didn't have anything, um, to do the Grand Prix on. So that was kind of a little bit of a, um, setback year, but, uh, just that, that was two years ago, I think. Um, and then just last year, uh, we ended up, um, buying a really nice mare and, uh, importing her from Europe. And, um, she's gotten me back up to the Grand Prix and, um, she won a couple with me last year and, uh, throughout the show circuit and everything. So her name's Demendi and uh, she's my top horse right now. Um, so our plan through the summer is definitely to um, keep showing the Grand Prix. I want to do some more. Um, I, I, my, my goal is to try to get more on the international level now. Um, so I've been uh, starting to show in some more FEI classes, um, some different two stars and stuff, some two star Grand Prix and, um, hopefully we want to do some two stars and three stars and, uh, just pick our class as well. Um, so she's kind of been doing anywhere from like 145 to 150, um, courses with me. So that's been really awesome. And then, uh, other, so she's kind of like my main horse. And then besides that, uh, I have a couple really nice young ones that we have coming along. So, um, I'm, I'm going to end up going to college next year. So I'm a little bit upset because I'm like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to miss out on these young ones, but uh, I have an eight year old happiness is her name and I'm obsessed with her. So I'm really excited to see where she goes. And uh, I think that she has definitely Grand Prix prospects in the future. Um, so yeah, it's kind of where I'm at with our horses. And then besides that, uh, I do a lot of catch riding for some other people. Uh, so I've, I've been lucky enough to get some really nice rides on some other horses and, uh, still show them in the junior jumpers and hopefully some Grand Prix also this summer. So it's, it's been a very busy season so far. Um, and hopefully that continues, even though obviously things are crazy right now with, uh, the coronavirus and everything, but hopefully this summer we can get back up and rolling, uh, with our teams and, uh, see where it goes. I'm excited. Sounds great. It sounds like a great, you know, that fox hunting gave you sort of a great base and, and, uh, and now you're kind of launched in the Grand Prix circuit. So that's great. Um, are you guys still hunting now? Are you hunting down there in Georgia or you're stopped for the time being? We're just about stopped. We went out today. 
Um, but it was, it got hot quickly. So, yeah. um, we, we are, uh, we are just about wrapped up. I would say in the next like two weeks or so. Um, yeah. but I've gotten down to my dad's as much as I'd like to have, um, this season for fox hunting. So I was, I was kind of bumped out. I feel like I've been cheated out of this past, uh, hunting season. So hopefully I'll be able to, there, there'll be plenty of years. I'll be able to make it up. It'll be okay. <laughs> Well, right. thanks so much for um, for joining us, Kaylin. It's been a great conversation, and um, we'll no be problem. we'll be excited. We're gonna um, we're gonna have an article about Kaylin and also um, Sloan Coles, who's also another young yeah. um, Grand Prix rider who grew up in the hunt field, and a couple of other young people um, in the upcoming issue of Coverside. So you can read more all about it. So. Thanks for joining awesome. us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was great nope. to talk to you guys. Great, talk, great talking to you as well. Thanks so much. Awesome. No problem. You can find Coverside online at ecoveredside.net or the digital edition at issuu.com slash ecoveredside. Tara can be found at Instagram. Search for at tntibbets. Find the links to today's guests in the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. You can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to the App Store and search for Horse Radio Network. Thank you so much to our sponsor today, Coverside Magazine and the MFHA. Good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs>